Join us. Let's walk the talk. This is 702. Oh, we were talking about romance a little earlier on, so thank you for my lovely Valentine's messages, Jenny and Linda. Greatly appreciated. Now we're moving on to investments. And uh, if you're trying to find out, working out what sort of impact it could have on your investments, this JSED listing of any company, uh, we've got the answers for you. Sean Netling, Head of Investments at Morningstar South Africa, is joining us this afternoon. A very good afternoon to you, Sean, and happy Valentine's Day. I hope you're having a good one. Afternoon, Jane, and thanks for having me on the show, and good day to you listeners, and happy Valentine's Day to everyone listening as well. Thank you. Okay, what exactly is a delisting? So the best way to explain this is, you know, companies, when they are looking at raising money or raising capital, um, they would typically look at listing that business on an exchange. So the JSE, the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, is, you know, one of the markets around the world that can look at doing that. So a company would pretty much look to raise money, uh, from outside shareholders um, by listing on the exchange. And delisting is basically just that company uh, either willfully deciding or being forced to actually move from that exchange back into, let's say, a, a, private, a private market again. So it happens for different reasons, um, but companies decide that based on how their business is performing, based on shareholder appetite to actually invest with them, um, that sometimes that listing does not work and they choose to exit that exchange and go back into, let's say, a private market and operate, operate like a normal private company. All right. So who and what is it likely to impact? So at the, at the first level, I think if you look at the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, um, in South Africa, we've got a you know, particularly low level of, let's, let's say, discretionary savings, um, a lot of contractual savings. So let's call it pension fund money, uh, does sit invested on a, let's call it a, a an exchange like the JC, um, which is made up of approximately, you know, 200 investable companies. And of those 200 investable companies, you know, the top 40 companies make up about almost 90%, about 85% um, of the actual market. Um, so a lot of pension fund money actually sits you know, within the listed environment on the JSE. Um, so on average, what happens is if you have companies that are exiting or companies that are delisting, it means that there are less companies for your pension to actually be invested across. So that's the probably one of the, the more simple ways to explain it. Um, if the trend continues, what could happen is that, you know, pension fund money and savings are spread across a very narrow grouping of companies, uh, which then has implications for, I suppose, how people realize um, I suppose the investment goals and objectives over time. But no need to panic? No. So I think, again, um, I think in South Africa, we tend to overstate, uh, you know, the, uh, I suppose the relevance of um, local problems. But if you look at, for example, the delisting trend or companies that are exiting the JSE, it is pretty much a global trend um, that we've observed for probably the last five to ten years. Um, and if you look at the U.S., for example, um, the U.S. attracted a lot of money, um, you know, a couple of years ago where there were companies that were looking to raise money. Um, some of these companies shouldn't have been listed in the first place, um, but there was strong investor appetite. We've seen the reversal of that. Um, so, again, not many new listings coming to market um, in the U.S., and in Europe and in the UK, uh, very similar trends to South Africa. We've seen companies actually exit the listed markets uh, for varying reasons. Um, a lot of those companies are actually being bought by other companies, uh, which is, again, similar to South Africa. Um, so, again, South Africa not unique in this. Um, the concern would be if this continues, 
Um, and again, you find that you know the grouping of companies that are actually available to be invested in um, is a lot smaller than what it should be. Mm. I'm intrigued if anybody who's listening now has experienced this. What impact has it had on you? Has it been a positive or a, a negative impact? What did you do with your money? Give us a call on 011-883-0702. You can also WhatsApp me on 072-702-1702. Seven oh two. Let's walk the talk on ninety two point seven and one oh six FM. Okay, so what should I do once I've I've heard this news? Um, you say it's not necessarily a bad thing. What what should I be doing with my money, and what sort of conversation should I be having? So, Jane, at Morningstar, we are uh, professional investors, and we work with underlying financial advisors or independent financial advisors. So best approach in an environment like this um, is always to consult with an investment professional, uh, again, with an independent financial advisor, who will then holistically look at a client's savings profile um, and also just their willingness and ability to take risk. So that advisor interaction is is particularly important in an environment like this. Uh, We are living in a world which is especially volatile and very choppy. So having a very clear financial plan, uh, again, which allows uh, investors and, and individuals to achieve their long-term goals is massively important. So I think that that would definitely be the first step um, to have a trusted advisor that could, again, consult across uh, across the wider um, investment needs um, of an individual. And then I think just to pay attention uh, you know, to what is happening in markets. Um, and steer clear of very short-term behavior. I think there's a lot uh, that gets published um, in a public space, some of which is true and some of which is uh, can be overstated. Like I mentioned, South Africa is not unique to this trend. Um, so the danger here is that, again, a lot of the rhetoric or the narrative um, gets overstated. And again, that's why it's important to have that sound and independent financial advice uh, to provide a bit of a fundamental underpin. Mm. I mean, there's some questions about the amount of money that you would get out of a company that has been delisted. Would it impact mm. that in any way? Yeah, so that's a really good question. It would depend on the quality of the of the company. So what we're actually seeing um, in the local environment on, on the JSC, a lot of these companies would typically not be part of most investors' portfolios. They are relatively smaller companies. Um, and again, in an environment, you know, like I mentioned, the world is fairly volatile at this point in time. Um, so a lot of those companies... You know, they would exit, um, again, because the underlying businesses are struggling. Um, and if the underlying businesses are struggling, it means that investors can't necessarily make the returns uh, that they think they should be making on those companies. Mm. So in this type of environment, we're not really seeing, um, like I mentioned, those companies that would comprise or make up uh, the bulk of an investor's portfolio delisting. Um, so there's nothing that's especially concerning from that side. And then obviously the money uh, or the capital that gets paid out you know, post-delisting uh, would largely depend on the quality of that business. If it's a high-quality business, uh, then obviously the owners or the private owners uh, would extract quite, a, um, quite an attractive premium. Um, and if not, um, yeah, the, the lesser-quality businesses would, would probably sell for less than, than what they were. And I guess, you know, basically we should just try and understand the key drivers of risk and return. I mean, how do you m- improve your knowledge when it comes to that? So I think that that's probably the most uh, important question. Uh, and I think the best framework to use in an environment like this is, again, 
one, always to lean into professional advice um, and to have somebody trusted um, that can advise on how, I suppose, personal savings should be should be managed. Um, and then, very importantly, pay attention to those behavioral biases um, to the extent where, you know, bad news doesn't necessarily mean that there is trouble. And I think, you know, delistings, it, it has been a topic in South Africa uh, which has been widely covered, um, but at the same time, I think the context is always important uh, to realize that this is not unique to South Africa, um, and also to understand that it's not South African factors or purely South African factors that are driving this. It's really easy to say that we've got problems on the political side uh, or challenges in terms of power generation from ESCOM, and that's contributing, and it certainly is a contributing factor, but it's one of the many risk factors that are supposed driving um, the situation at the moment. So Stepping back, um, not acting too fast based on information that's been um, that's been put out in the public space, and having someone to somebody trustworthy um, is probably the best way to actually go about that. Okay, how do you find somebody trustworthy? So I think um, you know from from our side again, you know we work with uh, with end uh, with independent financial advisors, um, and I think it's it's best to sort of network and, uh, and reach out within a specific, I uh, suppose, grouping to find those. It's, it's difficult to, uh, to obviously mention, uh, let's say, on live on, live on air, um, but happy to have those, those conversations if they should come my way. Mm. And if you, if you want to invest and take a, a long-term view of this investment, which is always advisable, isn't it? But not everybody's in that mm. position where they can sit on their money for a long time. What should you be looking for? Yeah, 100%. So I think there again, uh, what's most important is to make sure you invested in the right, let's call it investment strategy or right product. Um, I think, you know, most people would want the highest possible return, but higher returns also come with increased or higher risk. Um, and depending on life phasing and where you are, uh, what your personal circumstances are, you know, if you look at global equities, for example, global equities are likely to give you, let's call it the highest expected return, but also at the highest risk. So that might not be appropriate for everybody based on their, um, on where they are in their, in their life phase. So it's important to choose a product um, that basically matches that. So the very, a very cautious portfolio, for example, would co- combine, uh, let's say, local assets and global assets and also provide some fixed income exposure, um, which is somewhat more predictable than what equity markets would do. And then in this environment, I suppose the, the lowest risk products would be something like a money market fund. Mm. Um, and a money market fund is, is, is pretty much, you know, you investing mostly in cash. So very low market risk, uh, but at the same time, potentially giving up a lot of upside. Um, and that's the most important thing to be able to balance, you know, between, let's call it this very low risk money market or cash product versus a more full tilt risk product on the global equity side. Across that spectrum, um, you know, most investors are going to find the most optimal way for them to actually allocate that capital. All right. Uh, Sean, give us your, your details. So if anybody wants to get in touch with you, they can do that. Uh, so, Jane, my, uh, the best way is actually my Morningstar address. And that is, that's my name. So it's sean.neatling at morningstar.com. Thank you very much.